hey everyone, Pastor Rob from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Aurelia here. I'm with lead pastor Paul Carter, and this is our first ever video edition of Going Deeper. Some of you have been part of the Going Deeper small groups in years past, and Lord willing, those are coming back. Um, but until then, we really wanted to provide you with a bit more helpful video content so we can go a little deeper into some of the issues that were raised in the previous week's sermons. And this week, we're talking about the forgiveness of sins um, from our series on the Apostles' Creed. Obviously, that's a huge topic, and it raises a whole lot of practical and important questions. So let's get into some of these. Um, firstly, Paul, in your message, you said that the 4th century church decided that apostasy could be forgiven. Um, but doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 10, 33, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. So was the early church, people like Ambrose, Augustine, wrong to decide in what they did? That's a good question. And it's a complicated question, which is why it took them the better part of 70 years to yes. figure it out. Um, I, I think to be perfectly honest with you, had Jesus not said that, this probably would have taken about 10 minutes. But he did say that. And, and so that raises the question, can someone who denies Christ uh, before man publicly, can such a person ever be restored? I, I think in order to answer that, you have to take a look at, at the testimony of the Gospels as a whole. And you have to zoom out a little bit and you have to look at the story of a person's life as a whole. Sometimes uh, I think maybe we focus in too much on a moment. And uh, thank God that doesn't appear to be how God looks at things. God looks at the whole story. Of course, God sees the beginning of our life and the end of our life all at the same time. And so I think his perspective is a little bit different. When we zoom out and we, we ask bigger, broader questions, uh, I think we're starting to talk in terms of trajectory. I, I think it's a different issue when you ask the question, if, if somebody stumbled, if somebody in a, in a moment of weakness, under incredible pressure, denied Christ, but, but then felt horrible about that, repented uh, of that, got, got back up on the horse, so to speak, lived faithfully, and then maybe uh, had another opportunity to profess Christ under pressure, then I think we would say, you know, yeah, obviously, that's the story of Peter, isn't it? Like Peter, in a, in a moment of weakness, uh, under pressure, under duress, uh, young in his faith, denied Christ three times, actually. Thank God that, that God didn't just look at that moment for Peter. Yeah. Uh, but there was, there was restoration, there was teaching, uh, there was further growth and maturity on Peter's part. And then uh, also as a grace of God, Peter was given the opportunity late in his life, in essence, for a redo. And uh, Peter had the opportunity to deny Christ, and he didn't. And in fact, he suffered crucifixion. Church history says that he was crucified upside down. So Peter ended well. And I think you'd look at the whole picture. Another story like that that comes to mind is the story of uh, Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. Mm. Uh, not sure how many of you know that story. Uh, he was martyred alongside of uh, Bishop Latimer. And Cranmer, previous uh, to that, had actually recanted of all his gospel writings under incredible pressure. If you know the story of the English Reformation, uh, sometimes the king was favorable towards the Reformation, sometimes not, and so there was some, uh, sometimes it was the queen who wasn't favorable because the, the crown changed hands. But in one of these changes, uh, Cranmer actually was forced to recant under pain of death all of his gospel writings, and he did that. But then he was deeply ashamed, and he immediately repented of that, 
and he ended up going to the stake. And as the story is told, he actually held down his hand. I assume it was his right hand, if he was right-handed. He held down the hand that had written the letter of recantation. He held that hand down into the flame so that it would burn first. I, I think we would take that as evidence of real repentance. And, uh, and he finished well. So I, I guess that's what I would say. It depends on how you finish. You know, in the Bible, a lot of emphasis is placed on how you finish. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So I think you'd want to look at that. Now, there's a lot of pretty horrible sins out there that people can commit that grieve a holy God. Think of people who have sexually abused children, people who have put women into the sex trade or, you know, rapists. What about people like that? Do we forgive people like that? Wouldn't that make the church kind of unsafe? (laughs) That's a great question. One of the most important things I think in this conversation to remember is that forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation and forgiveness doesn't mean restoration to ministry. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think that, let's take the, use the example of a child molester. If, if heaven forbid, God forbid that that happened with somebody in our congregation that it came out that this was something that had happened. If they truly repented and, and if, if they, they wanted to come back and, and there was some kind of process, but you know, Let's imagine that God gave them grace and they were able to repent from that. Could we forgive them? Well, again, I would say, how could we not forgive them? Uh, Again, we have to ask the vertical question first. Can God forgive the sin of rape? Can God forgive the sin of child molestation? You think of your worst sins ever. Well, of course, the answer has to be yes. There's no sin bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, if that's our vertical scale, then that's got to be our horizontal scale. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to act foolishly. So forgiveness isn't foolishness. So we can forgive somebody and say, but you know what, just, just for the safety of others, um, whenever you come to church, we're going to have an elder sit next to you. And of course, you're not going to be able to serve in children's ministry or youth ministry or anything of that nature. So we can, be, we can forgive and we can, we can not be foolish. Yeah, I think often when this conversation comes up too, a, another key scenario that people bring up is, well, what about a woman who is who has an abusive husband, right. who's beaten her. You know, should she just forgive, submit, and remain under this abuse? What about a situation like that? Yeah, one of the things that, that I've said several times from the pulpit, and it's worth saying again here, is you can forgive and call 911, right? Yeah. You, you, so if you're a, a wife and, you're, and your husband hits you, uh, you, forgiving and calling the cops are, are not the same topic. Um, the... the the, the Bible says in Romans 13 that God has given extraordinary powers to the magistrate. The king does not bear the sword in vain, right? God gives the magistrate, the king, the judge, the police officer, extraordinary powers to restrain bad behavior. And you should take full advantage of that. So as a wife, you should call the police immediately. And then you should call the church and we'll put, put the husband under discipline. Uh, and if he doesn't repent and if there's not a process, then he'll be excommunicated. So we'll excommunicate him, he'll go to jail. And, but in your heart, you can, for, you can forgive. Yeah, the cross is bigger even than the sin of abuse. Yeah. Well, people want to go to Romans 12 where it talks about leaving vengeance to God, but they forget Romans 13 is right there. Right. God's given us the government to punish yeah. evildoers. In, in fact, I would go so far as to say this is one of the reasons why it's dangerous for us to lose a healthy appreciation of the state. Mm. You know, we're right now under pressure in Ontario with these restrictions that we don't like. There are lots of people who are actually trying to take the sword out of the hand of the king, in essence, diminish the authority of the state. Well, that might help you today with restrictions, but that won't help you tomorrow 
when we're back talking about domestic abuse, right? When we're talking about domestic abuse, we want a big sword and a big king. We want the biggest, nastiest policeman to show up with, you know, and, and, and to bear the sword properly. Romans 13 says that the king does not bear the sword in vain. He is an avenger. He's an agent of the vengeance of God upon the wrongdoer. So that's, that's good. The whole reason, one of the, one of the reasons we're able to forgive, not the whole reason, but one of the reasons we're able to forgive is because we know that actually nobody gets away with anything. People will face the final judgment of God in the afterlife and they'll face the temporal, the immediate vengeance of God through the magistrate. And, and so as private citizens, as individuals, we, we can forgive. But that doesn't mean that we don't respect the authority of the state and it doesn't mean we don't respect the, the significance of the final judgment. We do. It's doing the, for, the, the latter that allows us to do the former. So I think that's important to keep straight. Yeah. Uh, another topic that comes up a lot, and we don't want to handle any of these cavalierly, but adultery sure. in marriage. You know, Jesus gives permission in Matthew 5 for divorce in the situation of adultery. Does that give us liberty now to not forgive? How does that work? Yeah. Well, it's interesting to go back to Matthew 19 and the question the Pharisees asked. They, they were trying to trap him. And uh, Jesus doesn't end up saying anything different or contrary than what is said in Deuteronomy 24, the passage they were seeking some clarity on. And nor would we expect that. Jesus is, is the author of all of Scripture. And uh, so they came to him and they said, you know, should, is a man required? Must we divorce? They used that kind of language. Why did Moses say for a man to do that? And Jesus said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Jesus, uh, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of hardness of heart. But he said that was never the goal, right? So there's a difference between what you're permitted to do and what you're required to do. So yes, Jesus does say that in the, in the case of sexual immorality, uh, a wife or a husband, depending on the wrong party, is permitted to divorce. But it doesn't say required. And, and you know, as I often say, it, it, if both members of a marriage are truly saved, there, there really should never be a need for them to pursue divorce if they're both truly saved. Because truly saved people can do two things. They can change, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord as though in a mirror are being transformed by one degree of glory to the next. So we're changing. Sometimes it's very slow, but a real believer is growing. So we can change and then we can forgive. Uh, how many times? Well, you know, the disciples asked that question. How many times should Jesus... Seven times? And Jesus says, no, no, 70 times seven, right? Like, so we have a, we, by the grace of God, we have a, a capacity to forgive and we have a capacity to grow. But what if, what if one of the members of the marriage is not saved? And so they're not growing. They're persisting in adultery, right? In 1 John, it says if a person persists, if they continue in sin, they're not saved. So what we're looking for, again, is a pattern. So with a couple, I would say, well, what are we talking about here? Is this a situation where in weakness and immaturity, one member of the marriage has done something horrible and traumatic, but not necessarily unforgivable, not unforgivable, and not, not necessarily something that they can't grow out of? D do we believe in the gospel or not? Listen, I, I won't, obviously won't give you any names, but there are numerous couples in our, in our church where in their early days, they went through things like infidelity. But by the grace of God, somebody grew and somebody forgave. Mm. Now, I will tell you this also, though, uh, over the, the course of, of my time in ministry, on one or two occasions, I've had to say to an individual, 
there's a pattern here. I don't see repentance. I do see a persistent pattern. You need to, you need to take that escape clause, as it were, and you need to initiate divorce. So it depends, is the answer. Yeah, I think also this, this is part of one of the blessings of a complementarian view of church leadership where you have godly men who are in authority who can come into situations like this and help. Yeah. And a lot of historically complementarianism tends to get kind of looped in with abuse, unfortunately. Can do, yeah. And a lot of people have mistrust towards a complementarian church who, who runs that way. And, but this is kind of the, one of the reasons why God has given the church men leaders who can kind of come in, you know, at a 9 p.m. in a home where they're yep. having a spat like this to be able to come in and to minister and to kind of in some of these sad, hard situations kind of take some more mm -hmm. focused action. Yep. So if we're supposed to forgive then, why does the Bible advocate the death penalty then for certain sins? It's a good question. And, and again, it, it reminds us of the necessity of separating these issues. You can forgive someone and call the cops, right? So if, if someone, uh, someone breaks into your house, you can forgive them and you can also defend those who are vulnerable in your house. And then you can call 911 and then you can witness at the trial. Why? Because the king does not bear the sword in vain. Like God has given powers to the government for the purpose of punishing the evildoer and rewarding those who do good. So the government should incentivize good behavior and punish bad behavior. And as a citizen, you can contribute to that process in appropriate ways. As a private individual, you, you turn the other cheek, you forgive. These are not, like people say, well, how does that go together? Like Jesus said, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. And, and then the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, sounds like he's saying, call the cops. How, how does that go together? It does go together. As a private individual, I'm not seeking vengeance. I'm not saying, well, you broke into my house, I'm breaking into your house. Or when you're walking down the street, I'm coming up behind you with a bait. No, no, no. No, no, no. Turn the other cheek, personally forgive, but thank God for a magistrate and a sword. Mm -hmm. Or a cop and a can of mace, or however yeah. it goes, right? Yeah. What about those in the church who have suffered abuse as children? And there's just a deep, deep wound where they're just finding forgiveness in their language maybe impossible. I just can't, mm -hmm. can't forgive. Does this mean that they're forfeiting God's forgiveness in their lives and that their sins won't be forgiven? It's a tough situation. Yeah, that's a good question. And that comes up a lot too in, in pastoral ministry, particularly you, you mentioned childhood abuse. That's, that's often where it does come up. And I would say this, um, just like with sin, uh, you know, does anybody die having completely won the battle with sin? Like, have you ever been to a funeral where everyone was able to get up and say, hey, listen, thank goodness, Brother Joe uh, in the last six months really nailed the sin thing and uh, he'll enter eternity um, perfected. No, no, there's, a, there's always a battle. But the, the, so the question is, was, was Brother Joe waging a, a battle against remaining sin? Yes or no? And was, was he having progress? That's the question. And I'd say the same thing in extreme cases like this where forgiveness is a real battle. I would say, are you ever gonna to get to the place in your life where you can just say, yeah, no, no, I don't even think about that anymore and I just, I smile every time I think of that individual. Probably not, probably not until you, you pass over to the other side and, and you're seeing everything um, you know, through the eyes of Jesus. In this life, probably not. That's gonna be an ongoing battle. But the thing is, you better be fighting it. Be because it's bad for you to, to surrender on that. It's bad for you to give over to bitterness. That will grow like a root and it will take over your heart. 
forgiveness or, or, or unforgiveness, I should say, is like a poison. And if you hold on to it, it, it affects you. And, and so you, you have to let it go. In fact, that's what the word forgiveness means. Uh, in, in Greek, it's a fiamy, which literally means to let go. Mm. Just let go. It's, it's, it's like a, a table that you're holding on to your end, this, this offense, and the other person's holding on to their end. Just let it go. Let, what they do with their end is their, is their business. But what you want to do is let it go. And, and I know in, in, in cases where the abuse has been so deep, you, you struggle to let it go. You want to grab it up again. You want to come back to it. You want to circle back. And, but fight the battle. Constantly fight the battle. Because the, the longer you hold on to that, the more damage it will do to you. And so, of course, this is one of those things. We're going to need the grace of God. We're going to need to pray. We're going to need to ask for help. We're going to need to go to God and confess that we didn't do a very good job today, but we're going to try again tomorrow. So this is just going to be your battle. And that's the case for a lot of people. One of the roadblocks for some people for forgiveness is just, they're just not apologetic. The other person right. does not seem to even feel sorry for what they did. You know, what if, what if the other person isn't sorry? Yeah. So, so the question is often asked, you know, do I have to go first or shouldn't this be, you know, like something we do together, like the, the gunfights at the OK Corral where we count to 10 and then turn and, and fire forgiveness at each other. What, what if they're not playing the game? Well, you know, look to Jesus. As they were nailing Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Again, forgiveness means to let go. Let go. So it's, again, that table. That, that two people are holding on to and wrestling over and fighting over and being both being hurt by, you just let it go. What they do at their end is up to them. And, and again, this is where it's important to understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can't reconcile with somebody unless they're engaged in the process with you, unless they're doing what they should do. But you can, you can forgive somebody all on your own. You don't need anyone's help to forgive. They don't need to do anything. Forgiveness is just you dropping your side of the table. Reconciliation is you both dropping your side of the table and shaking hands across it. That's a two-person game. But forgiveness is a one-person game. Last question, Paul. Like, why do you think ultimately forgiveness is so hard for us? What's at the root of it that makes it so hard? You know, the simple answer is sin. You know, we're sinners. We want mercy from God and justice for everybody else. Right. That's what we want. Mercy for me, justice for everyone around me. That's, that's what we want. You can't have it both ways. Like, that's what Jesus said after the Lord's Prayer. Like, in essence, it's either mercy for everybody or justice for everybody. So he says, you know, Jesus says, and the parable of the unforgiving servant is basically Jesus saying, if you won't extend it, then you don't receive it. You haven't received it. You won't receive it. You can think of it in, in terms of a realized thing or a future thing. Either way, it's the same thing. Because the reality is, only when we've really appropriated the cross, only when with all humility we've seen Jesus on the cross and, and realized, that's for me, right? Like, I am actually the worst sinner here. Like, what God has forgiven me of is, is worse than what I have to forgive other people of. And you say, well, hold on a second. What if, you know, how do you know that? We don't know what's been done to me. No, I know this, but one of the ways we actually assess guilt is by the relative innocence of the offended party, right? You know this. If, if, if you hide behind a tree and somebody's just walking along by you and, and you crank them over the head with a snow shovel, that's premeditated. The person did nothing. That was an innocent bystander. And, and so you get, you're going to get the maximum penalty. If, however, that person comes over to your house and is throwing eggs at your house and saying bad things about your wife and you go out and you get in a shouting match and slug them, it's hard to know whether you get charged at all. You probably will, but it'll certainly be lesser than the snow shovel guy, right? Because in that case, the victim was not entirely innocent. 
But God is not just entirely innocent. He's infinitely holy. And so again, the, the multiplying factor there is, is infinite and, and, and therefore the guilt is exponential. And, and so when you understand that, who you are, who God is, and what God did in Christ, that ought to shut your mouth. That ought to right size the level of offense you hold towards others. It, it ought to. But so, why is it so hard? I would say because we spend so little time thinking about who we are in relation to God and so much time thinking about our dignity, how we've been offended, how we've been wronged, and, and so little, little time thinking about our guilt. But then I would also just say human beings are all little gods, right? Like Calvin, I think it was, said that the human heart is an idol factory. We are constantly overestimating ourselves, our right to dignity, our right to justice. And, uh, and, and so I just think we want to be gods. We want to, you know, to, to be the standard. We want to hold everyone else out to justice. And we forget that actually, no, 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 we're the, we're the criminals. We're the rebels. Uh, we're sinners in need of grace. So I'm sure that's a big part of it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Paul, for this time. This is a really difficult issue. So if, if you have any further questions, please contact us. You can email me at rob at cornerstoneaurelia.org. And uh, we'll endeavor to get back to you in time and as opportunity allows. Uh, but until then, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode. God bless. God bless.